Welcome, welcome to Kai Alpha's annual relationship talk. How y'all doing? Come on, nine o'clock. Let's. Yeah, I'm like, it is a whole lot more fun when y'all respond and you talk and stuff. If not, I will continue to talk. That's not going to stop me, but it's just more fun for you guys too. But uh, I hope you guys are uh, ready for a good night. We're going to cover cover several different areas and topics tonight, relationships. It, I won't make you guys do it, but I got uh, first service. I was like, yeah, we're going to talk about different areas of relationships, you know, dating, marriage, sex. And I got them to chant sex several times. And I just thought... Not because we're actually talking about sex. I just think it's funny if someone walks by and hears a bunch of Christians yelling sex over and over again. So it brings me amusement. I have to do things that uh, make me laugh, too. Sorry, you're stuck with me. Okay. Uh, But tonight we want to talk about relationships because relationships and marriage next to accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is the second most important decision you will ever make. And while, how many, I'm just more interested, how many of you guys are actually dating someone currently? Okay, that's actually not bad. First service, we had a decent amount. You know, even if you're not dating someone currently, there are still a lot of principles you need to know because, uh, well, it's better to know stuff ahead of time than get into it and not have a clue what's going on. And so, just so you understand, we value, we do value all levels of relationships here. Single, dating, marriage. And we want you guys to be healthy in all areas of your life, whether that is uh, physical, spiritual, mental. And in this case tonight, we want you guys to have healthy relationships. And uh, like any other kind of health, healthy relationships and a health in your uh, relationships will be a progressive thing. It's not just one thing, you know, everything doesn't automatically get better when you get a boo or get married and stuff. There are things that you need to take care of in your life ahead of time so that when God does bring that special one along, you are prepared and you're ready for what is, uh, what he has. Um, like anything else, our relationship with people is a reflection of our relationship with Jesus. Our health relationally always is going to begin with our Savior. And after after you figure out some things on the single level, I truly believe that you can begin to look at what God wants for you in a dating relationship, how to date, and eventually you can have a great Christian marriage. That's what we want. Uh, a few years ago, I'm not going to lie, been here 14 years, been doing ministry 16 years, talked about relationships so much, like to nauseating extents. And for like three years, I refused to actually talk about relationships because I was talked out. And then Missy and I, we sat down with a couple of our mentors, and they're like, hey, Tom, Missy, what do you want from your students? What do you want for them 20 years from now? 
And, you know, my first response, well, I want him to be passionate for the Lord. I want him to love Jesus. I want him to be serving in the church and giving back and doing what they need to do. And, you know, all good answers. My mentor's like, yeah, that's great. What do you, what do you want for their family lives? And it kind of caught me off guard because it's like, and he pursued on, he's like, 20 years from now, what do you want? For your students. Do you want them to be good Christian husbands and wives? Do you want them to be good Christian mommies and daddies? If you do, you need to prepare them ahead of time and help them get to that place. Because honestly, we're dealing with a generation of students and people that come from broken families where maybe their parents were not around, or if maybe a parent, one of their parents was never part of their lives. Even for the students that really love Jesus, they often have no idea how to have a good Christian relationship and eventually a good Christian marriage because no one has taught them. And personally, I believe that you see a lot of failures in our culture and in the church today because we've had so many families fall apart. And, you know, the Lord tells us, you know, we need to be a model to the world with his Christian love, but how can we be a model of our Heavenly Father's love if our marriages aren't based in it? And so, yeah, I want you to have good godly relationships. And just so we're clear, over the years I've had some students accuse us of not wanting our students to be in relationships. Nothing is further from the truth, okay? I like being in a relationship. It's worked out pretty well for me. I'm pretty happy. Uh, Tyler, Morgan, Morgan at least, you happy? You good? Tyler, he pops in. You happy with your relationship? Praise the Lord. That's what we want to hear. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, we got a couple that just got engaged, Julian Blaze. Good things. Okay, that is a good thing. Um, we, and, and I know I have a lot of give years and uh, staff that are single that would like to be engaged. Gl- glory? Glory? Glory. <laughs> oh, yes. And the cool thing is God created us to be in relationships. Remember last week we talked about how Jesus is called Emmanuel. God is with us. He is the creator of with. He came, he spent time with people in presence. He has given us the gift of the church to spend time with each other. He's a fan of relationships. So tonight, I hope you just take some of these things because, like I said, we want you to have good Christian marriages. We want you to have great Christian kids support great Christian ministries like Chi Alpha. But it does mean putting some work in. And it it takes being aware of some steps in your life to get to that place. Good relationships don't just magically happen. They are wondrous. They are magical. But good relationships take effort, time, and take being intentional. 
And so tonight, as we talk, I want you to know, basically our information are coming from two main sources. Number one, the first, the foremost, the most important, the Bible. Uh, no, the Bible doesn't tell you how long you should wait to call a girl after a date, or the Bible doesn't tell you when you should become Facebook official and stuff. But the Bible has a lot of principles for relationships throughout it. And they come with God's standards, his boundaries, his will to help us remain in his plan for our lives. And so, Bible, number one, most important. The second source of information comes from, well, two seasoned, I believe, relationally successful people. Would you agree, honey? Who are, quite honestly, twice your age. All right, we are a lot older than you. We've been happily married for 16 years. How many of you have been married happily for 16 years? We win, okay? We have the advantage here. And, uh, you know, we're in love. We know how to stay in love. We also have experience in other areas. I've dated people. I've had an ex-fiance. She has not had an ex-fiance. Good for her. We have experience on our side, and now we have a daughter who loves Jesus. You see, when it comes to relationships, that speaks volumes. Successful marriage equals fruit. Not perfect, okay? But we have a clue of what we're doing. How well you receive what we're talking about tonight comes down to this idea, do you accept God's standards, and do you accept that God's ways are best for you. We live in a culture that loves individuality. They love to say, you're special. And you know what? We are special. We are created as unique individuals of God. The problem is, is when we take that individual thing and we equate it to always being the exception to the rule. There have been many times over the years I've talked to different students and, you know, giving them advice, and they give me that face I've talked about. Hmm. That's good, Tom. Maybe for someone else, but not for me. I'm unique. I'm an exception to the rule. No, you're not. Okay? Most of what we're going to be talking about tonight are generally really good ideas for a relationship. No. Not Every single little thing that we talk about tonight is going to apply to you. But if you sit there and you're like, I don't need advice, I don't need to listen to anything, then you're wasting your time, and I'm gonna, once again, I'm going to keep talking. I want to encourage you to have a teachable spirit. I want you to, more importantly, you may listen to me, I care more about you listening to the Holy Spirit. And if he prompts areas of your life that he wants to work in, Write something down. Listen to him so that in the end, you can have everything that God wants for you. And so, we've got a lot of stuff to cover tonight. But tonight, we are going to be looking at Tom and Missy's three keys to a successful relationship. If followed, you too can have the relationship of your dreams. All right. I, occasionally, I can use the whole radio voice Thanks for coming tonight. All right. First and foremost, if you've been around, you have heard me say this. 
if this is your first year, you will hear me say this for the next four years or five years, however long you're here. First key to a successful relationship, stop looking for the one and become the one. Stop looking for the one and become the one. We spend so much time in our lives thinking about what we want in a significant other. What they look like, future jobs, do they love the Lord, are they funny, are they financially responsible, all those things. And that's not bad. Please don't get me wrong. You got to have things you are looking for. Some of your lists, ladies, I've seen, they are long lists, man. Long lists. The problem is we spend a lot of time thinking about what we want in another person. And many times we fail to become the person that God wants us to be. And we fail to become the person someone else would be looking for. Instead of looking for the right one, we need to focus on ourselves first. The person that God wants us to be. Let's go back. When you're single, I want to encourage you to be present in the moment so you don't miss out on what God has for you. I've watched a lot of young people over the years miss out on really awesome opportunities that God has for them today, you know, where they could spiritually mature and grow, but their focus is somewhere else. I want you guys to have hope, but don't miss out on what God has for you today. And when when your eyes are always on the future, you're missing out on what God wants for you. I had this happen in my own life. I was in grad school. I was 24. Honestly, I wasn't really serving the Lord. I was a pseudo-Christian. I would call myself a Christian. (laughs) Whatever. I had been dating the same person for a couple years. Uh, Honestly, there are a lot of red flags, and we'll talk a little bit more about red flags in a little bit. But enough stuff that I should have gone running the other direction, but instead, I didn't want to be alone. And so... I did the smart thing, and I got engaged. Unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, very fortunately, things did not work out. And you know what? Um, I'm not, it, it was a hard experience in my life at that point, but I wouldn't change it because I learned from it. You're going to face garbage in your life. Life will be tough. If you don't want to have to do that stuff again, learn from your mistakes. That's what gets us in trouble when we keep on repeating the same thing over and over and over again. Coming from a history guy. If you don't learn from history, you are doomed to repeat it. And so, because of that, things changed. And I will also say something along the lines... She was dating someone when we first got together. She refused to, you know, she was nervous about breaking up with that person. If they will cheat with you, they will cheat on you. You ain't that special. And so, even just character flaws, those are things you need to be looking for. But, we break up, I come back to Jesus, And literally, I spend the next year just chilling with him. 
just hanging out, allowing him to fill me up become and you know grow closer to him. You know, up to that point in my life, I'd always been in a relationship. I'd always been, or at least looking for a relationship. And so God called me to the thing that so many people are scared of, a season of singleness. Let me just say, singleness is a gift from the Lord. It is something that the Word talks about. It can be a good thing. So many people are afraid of it. The vast majority of people in this world are not called to a lifetime of singleness. I do believe everyone in their lives are called to a season of singleness. Basically a time where you are dating God. Figuring out how to fall in love with him. How to focus on being the man or the woman that God wants you to be. And for me, I, I didn't even think about it at the time because I was just focused on growing in him. But little did I know that I would end up becoming a person that would be attractive to the kind of woman that God would want me to be with. Before that, she wouldn't touch me with a 10-foot pole. After Jesus, good things. All right. And to have the kind of relationship that God wants, we first have to know who we are in Christ. We have to get our identity, our self-worth, our value from him. And I truly believe that starts by confronting brokenness in our lives. Uh, this is one of those things. Brokenness doesn't make you a bad person. It's just a reality of the world we live in. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where there is sin and junk happens. And sometimes a piece of ourselves gets broken. We lose it. And it can come from a lot of different places. You, know, you can feel broken because of a rejection from your friends and your family. You can feel broken because of verbal or physical abuse in your lives. You can have brokenness because of addictions, whether it's to drugs, pornography, alcohol, whatever. You can even have brokenness because of finances. Maybe you grew up in a poor family. And you definitely can have brokenness when you come from a broken family. It's a lot of times not our fault, but it's part of the life we live in. All these things can leave us feeling unworthy of having a good relationship or having the best that God wants for us. And you need to understand that's a lie. God wants the very best for you. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. But we do need to address this brokenness. You see, if we don't address the brokenness in our life that only God can fill, when we start to date someone, we're going to take from them. And we're going to replace them with the things they can give us instead of getting what only God can give us. It's kind of a, we'll talk a little bit about it later, but it's this whole idea of being equally yoked, it's a big reason why I encourage students not to date new 
Christians. They're still learning. They need to get their roots deep into Jesus. And guess what? Sometimes you don't need to be involved. They need that first. And so let me give you a few examples of things that we take when we are broken in a dating relationship. Sometimes we take value from the person that we're dating. If we have self-esteem issues, if we don't feel good about ourselves, we look to get that from the person we're dating instead of Jesus. You know, for a guy, a lot of times, if you don't feel good about yourself, having a pretty girl on your arm makes you feel like a big man. Sometimes for women, getting their self-affirmation about being pretty goes a long ways getting it from a guy. I tell my wife she's hot, but you know what? She knows she's hot, right, Missy? Okay. (laughs) It's true, though. You do. Um, I just affirm what she already knows. (laughs) In brokenness, when you come from a poor family, Sometimes when you're dating someone, you look for that person to provide for you, to provide security for you, to take care of your needs when we should be getting those from the Lord. Um, Sometimes when you come from a broken family, you actually date a person's family more than you date a person. we talked to her at school, but we had a student years ago that got saved in the ministry, and she actually started dating Missy's brother. And the Lord told her, you need to break up with him. And she refused to do it for like almost six, three, six months. I don't know. It's been enough, long enough. She refused to do it, not because she loved him so much, but because she loved Missy's family and her parents because that's something she never had. And in the end, it really was a good thing that she ended up uh, listening to the Lord and breaking up with him. Sometimes when we're broken become of, because of addictions, uh, we'll almost dominate that other person's time and emotions because w- Addictions leave us out of control in areas of our life, and so we will almost compensate in the areas that we can have some control over. If we don't deal with these areas of brokenness in our life and allow God to fill them up, we're going to put the person that we're dating in the place of God. What's it called? When we put something before the Lord. An idol. You can make the person that you're dating an idol in your life. And you know what happens if you date an idol? You get really insecure. Because that thing is really precious to you. And if you lose that one thing, your value as a person goes down. That's why we put Jesus first. That's why we get our value from him. Because he, we can't lose him. He's not going to leave us. And so, let me give you some red flags. Some common signs that there might be an idle issue in your relationship. One, uh, it needs to just mainly come off of observations that we've seen over the years. 
there's usually an idol issue if a couple can't keep their hands off each other in public. I get when you first start dating, it's cutesy and, you know, oh, you're so whatever. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people that have been dating forever and they have to be touching 24-7. Not because they care and love the other person, but it's more about marking your territory that this is mine. This belongs to me. You might have an idle problem in your relationship if you have to constantly be with someone all the time. And a lot of times it starts out hanging out in, late into the night, and then you come up with the excuse, well, it's late, I don't want to drive home, so I'll just stay here and I'll sleep on the couch. And then eventually that moves from the couch to the, to the bed, but we're not doing anything, we're being good people. But you sleep in someone's bed long enough, something's going to happen. Welcome to human nature. And kind of playing off of that, those people end up having no friends because of their relationship. They're the people that will make plans with you and be like, hey, Julie, we'll hang out tomorrow night. We'll go see a movie at 7. And then at 6.55, Julie, I can't come. I have homework. I know what you're really doing. Okay, you're hanging out. You're doing we, – we've all been there a few times. We've been, and that happens all the time. There's also this brokenness when you see control issues in a relationship. Usually it tends to be a little more one-sided where one person's dominating the other and they don't give freedom in a relationship. Who you talking to? Who you texting? Where are you at? Even if they try to go home for a weekend, I'm coming with you. These are bad signs. Once again, Becoming the one starts with submitting our brokenness to the Lord. As I was working on this, the Lord just wanted me to, I felt, remind you guys, there's hope in Jesus. Even if you come from a broken home, there is hope in Jesus. Even if you have not had good examples of what a Christian relationship looks like, there's hope in Jesus. Even if you deal with addictions and all these other things, there's hope in Jesus because Jesus can change our circumstances and then he changes our destinies. Jesus can break what's called often uh, family curses, generational curses, things that seem to be repeated generation after generation. And it's not because there's a demon hiding in your closet. It's because people learn bad habits that they replicate in their own lives. Jesus can break those curses when we receive healing from him. And we start that by finding God's promises in his word and learning to stand on them. Getting yourself worth from God. Lord works all things out for our good. Lord gives us victory and helps us to overcome. God loves us unconditionally. God watches over us. God knows you intimately. God has a plan for your life. Second thing you need to do with your brokenness, 
is take it to the Lord for healing and restoration. As long as there's still unforgiveness, you can't be whole. The Lord makes it pretty clear that you don't have to forget. No one's asking you to forget the pain that you've suffered or the way someone's treated you. He does ask you to forgive because the Lord has forgave us. And so forgiving, while it helps another person, brings us healing. And so take, forgive those who in the past, who've hurt you in the past, and repent of your own sins. Don't, you know, I think we all got to take a little responsibility for our own choices. Um, it sounds bad, and I always get some slack over it, but something missing I have talked about pulling out. But I'll just say, as you work on your inward beauty with Jesus, do your best on the outside, too. There's a saying that you dress for the job that you want, not the job that you have. Guys, most girls do not want to date a homeless guy. Stop looking homeless, you know. Look nice. doesn't mean you got everything put together, everything figured out. But if you are pursuing God, let what's happening on the inside begin to happen on the outside. Talked about last week how so many times we feel a certain way on the inside and we make it real on the outside. Start doing that in a positive manner. If God's working on you, let that happen outside of you too. Submit your brokenness, maybe finances, to the Lord. You know, follow biblical financial principles. Tithe. Trust God with your money. The Lord makes it very clear that you give it to him, he's going to more than take care of you. You don't have to look for provision from somewhere else because that's the Father's job. And work hard. Take responsibility and do it. And then finally... Another way to help overcoming brokenness, lean on God, but get yourself a mentor. Most of you have a mentor, people that you can talk to, people that you can lean on, that you can pray with, that will be there and stand with you and help carry your burden. It's a resource that the Lord gives us. And yet I watch so often people kind of blow it off. The people that Lord puts in your life that love you want you to be whole and healthy and care about you. Yeah, they may push you. I get that. But it's out of love, not out of hate. It's the whole idea that the Lord disciplines those he loves. Our mentors aren't all about discipline, but they are there to speak truth. Allow that to help bring healing into your life and walk that way with you. So how do I know if I'm ready for a relationship? And this is need versus want. And so people that are ready for a serious relationship are people who don't need a serious relationship. They're content. They're not desperate. Um, And a relationship, honestly, it doesn't complete you. It's only meant to complement you. And I'm going to say that again. A relationship doesn't complete you. It's only meant to complement you. 
And Tom had talked about desperateness and it smells like a stinky cologne or something that lingers. And it's true of desperateness with um, people who really, really, really want to be in a relationship. It's like that bad cologne. You can smell it. You can still smell it when it goes by you. It kind of burns your eyes. You can taste it. All of those things. And they're looking around to desperately, desperately find somebody. Um, And so I want to talk to you about this picture of a net. And you guys, like, throwing a net out. And Tom talked about um, Jesus told the disciples to throw your net on the other side of the boat, right? So that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about throwing the net to catch someone in a relationship and throwing the net wide. And we've been in ministry for a long time, and we've watched both guys and girls do this. And they'll be talking to or texting to three, four people at a time. And sometimes they're even messing around with all of those people. And the person, those different people, they don't even know that the others exist, that they're even in that um, net catching stage that they're in, you know, the net has been thrown. And they think that Jane or or John um, is only interested in me. Um, If you're in that boat tonight and you have cast a net, hoping a little fish will jump in, Um, you're not ready for a serious relationship. You're just not ready. Proverbs 24, 12 talks about, you know, you knew, and God is going to look at our heart and he sees all of those things and he's going to judge you according to what you know, you knew and what he knows you knew. And so, um, if you're in that boat, you're not ready for a serious relationship. And speaking to ladies, men are only going to rise up to the level that you call them to. If you expect more from a guy, you're going to get more. And if you expect, or excuse me, if you settle for less, then you're going to get less. Um, And so that brings us to our second key, which is pacing our relationship. And so there's these things that Tom and I call gas pedals in a relationship that can make the relationship either go really fast really slow or just right. Um, And those three things are physical touch, how much time you're spending together, and then how much you're praying in the depth of that prayer together. And when you're going too fast, the relationship controls the people and not the other way around. And the key to a dating relationship is for it to develop slowly and steadily so that God and the two people involved are in control of the relationship. So the first gas pedal, physical touch. Um, You need to correctly pace the physical part of your dating relationship. It's absolutely necessary to limit physical contact at the beginning of a relationship and add it in slowly, and like Tom talked about, in a progressive and a constructive fashion. And let me explain why. Couples, you guys need to find out if you can do things like solve problems, settle arguments, do we enjoy leisure time together, and accept each other's, even going as far as accepting each other's careers and their family goals before you start bringing all this physical contact into the relationship. Um, When you've already been physically intimate with someone, you know it feels good, and it can be really distracting. And many times, someone in the relationship will end up using physical intimacy as a way to end an argument, as a way to settle problems, 
They use it to overlook issues that need to be addressed in the relationship. And so because you're not addressing what's really going on in like the real parts of life, you're only left with physical intimacy. That's all you have is the physical. And the bottom line is the physical part of the relationship should be the last thing you add. Um, Our emotions, our behaviors, and actions as Christians need to match the level of relationship. Whether that's we're friends, we're dating, we're engaged. Um, We've been in ministry long enough. We hear you guys say things all the time that aren't appropriate to be saying around a person of the opposite sex. Or even talk about in mixed company. Like you may not be talking to the guy, but there's a bunch of guys sitting there. A lot of times it can be in an effort to flirt or sometimes even hook up with um, a person opposite. You're trying to draw attention to yourself. Um, but if it's not and you're like, I just talk. I don't, I don't really pay attention. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say as Christians, we need to be more aware of who's around us when we start talking about certain things. Protect our brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't just go out there and say anything you want to say. Um, God's not calling us to a place either of immediate satisfaction, or you may have heard friends with benefits. That's settling for what I want and not saying, God, what do you want and what's your best for me? Um, so with boundaries in mind, and we've all heard people talk about boundaries, right? We, you guys have heard that at some point, you need to have boundaries in relationships. Well, on the physical side of things, let's talk about friends for a minute. Keep your hands to yourself. If you are single or if you are just friends with people, stop touching each other. It's one thing, you know, you give each other a side hug, cool. It doesn't need to linger for long times. We don't need to be touching shoulders and massaging each other. Like, it's not appropriate. If you don't want to be with him, if you don't want to date him, stop touching him. And guys, same thing for girls. Like, stop touching each other. Um, so how about our dating and engaged friends? What does that look like physically? Um, you need to have clear physical boundaries that you guys have discussed and you have an accountability partner that's holding you to those things. Um, side note, just for people who are in relationships and you're good guys and girls and you've got an accountability partner, um, and someone who calls something out in your life, don't get upset with them. You guys... You and your significant other are the ones that said, hey, will you be our accountability partner? And will you hold us to these certain things? Don't shoot the messenger when they hold you to those things. Does that make sense? Okay, hopefully that did. Um, Stop shooting the messenger. So our second gas pedal tonight, how much time you're spending together. Here we're talking about time and commitment that are two very important factors in the level of your relationship. Are you just friends? How long have you been dating? Is there a ring on your finger? Or is there going to be a ring on your finger? Um, Boundaries here are very important as well. And don't neglect other friends when you're dating somebody. And if you're single, don't spend all your time with someone who's supposed to be just a friend. No matter what level you're on, dating, friends, engaged, stop revealing the deepest parts of yourself, emotional boundaries. The word tells us, guard your heart. And just because the world tells us it's okay and it's normal, it doesn't mean it's right. 
And when you finally get married, that person becomes your best friend and the one you can tell anything to. You don't have to have any of those kind of boundaries. It can just flow back and forth. Um, But until then, there's a lot of things that it's okay if you keep it between you and Jesus. Did you know you and Jesus can have secrets from everybody? Like, you, you can do that. You don't have to reveal everything that's in here to other people. Um, <clears throat> and so that brings us to our third gas pedal, which is how much prayer and the depth of prayer that we're doing together. Um, how many of you, you know that God is intentional? Do you guys realize that? He's intentional. And so he designed it so that spiritual things in the context of a relationship cause a deep intimacy. And it's on purpose that he did that. And so we need to be intentional too. We need to respect what he set up and we need to be intentional with that. When we're friends, dating, engaged, um, we need to avoid intimate prayer requests or asking for personal advice that's going to tie you emotionally to another person. Um, that's what your life group leader, your life group, your close friends, your mentors are for. We lean on them in those moments. And let me say, we're not saying you can't talk about anything that has to do with God, because we get this as a question almost every year. So you're saying, I can't talk about Jesus in any way with someone I'm dating or engaged to. And that's not what we're saying. I believe that you do need to be asking your boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, how their quiet time is going. What's God teaching them? Those are important things. If you don't know that they're spending time with Jesus, that's a problem. You need to be seeing fruit in their life. Just make sure that the level of relationship you're in, that it matches the spiritual depth that you go to. Um, Boundaries should be in every area of a healthy relationship, and it needs to include the physical, emotional, spiritual areas of your life. Um, If the relationship is out of control, um, so God's not, God and the two aren't controlling it, one of two things is going to happen. Either one, a premature end to the relationship and hurt feelings for the people involved. Or number two, people end up prioritizing their relationship, including the physical stuff, over their relationship with God and his commands. And so basically, we've seen kids walk away from the ministry, walk away from the Lord, so they don't have to do what God's telling them to do. And a lot of times they end up living a pseudo-Christian life or even a non-existent one. And it's not even just because they want to keep having sex, but sometimes there is guilt there. Um, I had a young woman a few years back, and she told me that God said, break up with this guy. He was a boyfriend at the time. You need to break it off. And so we were talking about how that should happen. And then come to find out, the next month was Christmas break. She comes back from break engaged. She's embarrassed. She leaves the ministry. She ends up marrying the guy. And so um, we have to be careful um, in those instances. Song of Songs 8.4 tells us, don't awaken love before it's time. The right thing or person at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. The right thing or person at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. Okay. That brings us to our third key for a healthy relationship. Ask the right questions. 
I need to understand, once you are married, that marriage becomes God's will for your life. You have made a covenant and a contract before God. Jesus makes it pretty clear that it's not God's will that people get divorced, especially if they're following Jesus. There are exceptions. You know, if someone cheats, that gives you an option. If there is abuse, if someone breaks this agreement, but you need to start from a place that this is God's will for your life, not from a place of exceptions, okay? And when something becomes God's will for your life, it can change things. And so asking the right questions go, goes a long ways. I had a friend in college named Sarah, and a really great girl. Um, grew up, you know, we were in classes together. She felt called into missions, and she started dating this guy, and the dude was really nice. He was a follower of Jesus. That wasn't in question. Really nice guy. Uh, he was in a band. I think he was a drummer. Their band was signed uh, to a Christian label. So it was exciting. It was fun. It was really cool. And they ended up getting married. And I'm like, all right, okay, that works. And so I happened to see her in church and I caught up with her in the back. You know, I was just asking her, I'm like, so how you doing, Sarah? How, how's marriage going for you? And it was the most real moment and something that stuck with me. Also kind of awkward because there was like people around and stuff. But she stopped and she's like, you know, Tom, he's a great guy. He loves Jesus. And I'm married and I would never leave him. Because I know this is, you know, I've made this promise before the Lord and I need to stand by it. But he doesn't want to go into missions. I wish I would have asked some more questions. Because even though I love him, I now have to sacrifice something that I felt the Lord wanted for me. She made a choice, and by making that choice, it became God's will. And so, if you're going to make a choice, you better know the answers to some questions. And let me just start with these two verses. First, Proverbs 18, verse 22. Find a spouse, you find a good life, and even more, the favor of God. This verse is working from the presumption that you find a good spouse, A good spouse who follows after God. How many of you understand you can find a spouse, but if they're not good, you're not going to have a good life? Two, you have Proverbs 25, verse 24. It is better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. We don't want anyone to live in an attic tonight, okay? So let's ask ourselves these top 10 questions you need to ask yourself when you start dating someone before you get married. Before you get married. You answer these questions, then you can have a real conversation with yourself and make a decision. And so 
Uh, number one question, and one of the most important. Are they active in their faith, and are they pursuing Jesus? Will this person challenge me to grow closer in my walk with the Lord? Get someone who won't let you remain the same. Find someone that sees the potential in you and what the Lord wants you to be and encourages you to go to that place. Years ago, my brother told me, Tom, don't marry someone just because you love them. You can love lots of people in this world, but find someone that loves you and sees the person God created you to be and challenges you to become that person. This applies to both marriage and dating. God created men to rise up to a challenge, to step up. My wife isn't pushy. She is strong. She is awesome. She's a godly woman. But she's also not afraid to challenge me to become all that I can be. And let me also say, when I say potential, we don't mean someone that is currently doing nothing. But maybe someday they will pursue after Jesus and stuff. Here's the thing. Every person in this world has potential. We were all created in God's image. That doesn't mean all people want to reach that potential. As a Christian, go after people that are already striving after the Lord. And with that, stop seeing things in people that aren't really there. If you want to read, go to 2 Corinthians 4.16. It talks about that whole being equally yoked thing. I said this last year, and I made someone really angry. I'm saying it again this year because it's truth. Christians should never date outside the Christian realm. You, as a Christian and a follower of Jesus, are not to date someone who is not a Christian. There are way too many dangers in it. It's so much easier to be pulled down than to be pulled up. It is not your job to save people. That is Jesus' job. If you think someone's cute, pray that the Lord gets a hold of them, but stay away from them. When we become Christians, we become unified with Jesus. And when we marry someone, we become unified with them. Light cannot be unified with darkness. There is an imbalance that occurs. And will always cause friction in a relationship when one person's following after Jesus and one person's not. And and along those same lines, you all want to be treated like adults, right? Then I'm going to tell you an adult thing. Stop being selfish. You guys have a responsibility to your future children to raise them as followers of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian parent, that is your job. Stop being thinking about yourself and what I want and this and that. You will have a division in your home that goes beyond two people and will bring fracture 
and confusion and brokenness to your child when both parents are not followers of Christ. I say that, but I don't think that's most Christians' biggest issue. Most Bible-believing Christians believe they shouldn't date a non-Christian. The real issue that we've seen in campus ministry over the years are solid, good Christian young men and women who will justify dating a mediocre, pseudo-Christian who's probably only a Christian in name because they want to be equally yoked by Jesus. Hear me and hear me well. You can date a Christian and not be equally yoked. Do you understand that? You can date a Christian and not be equally yoked. Your passion, your pursuit, your heart, and your love for the Lord needs to be the same. If those things aren't matching up, you aren't equally yoked. And if you have to constantly come up with excuses for your significant other's behavior, then don't date them. I'm so tired over the years of hearing things like, they want to be involved, but they're already involved in other stuff. If they don't have time for Jesus, they don't have time for you. They want to pray more, but they're still learning. If they don't have time to spend time with Jesus, they don't have time to spend time with you. Well, they're trying to read the Bible. They just don't like to read. Stop making excuses. The Bible says that you will know my disciples by their fruit. Men, if you want a good, godly woman, step up. Women, I know it can be tough. It can be very difficult to wait because sometimes guys are a little on the slow side. But waiting and expecting more will get you God's best. And you'll have what the Lord wants. Second question you need to ask yourself. What are my non-negotiables? Know ahead of time what you will not compromise on. A lot of times people get into a relationship and they're not 100% sure. And then they start buckling because, well, emotions happen. You need to ha- know the difference between wants and non-negotiables. I'll be honest. I find brunettes beautiful. I lucked out. Lord's good. But my mo- non-negotiable was that I wanted a woman that was spirit-led, spirit-filled, called into ministry and missions so that we could do things together. There was never going to be compromise on those things. I was not going to give up my call for a person. There are many people, Missy and I are pretty honest, I've dated some very nice Christians over the years that I'm sure I would have had a nice life with, but I would have never been able to have this life. And I want the best life the Lord has for me. And so know what your non-negotiables are. Uh, Three, and I know this is a little bit far out and stuff, but... Would the person you are dating make a good parent? 
Would they be a good mommy and daddy to your children? And I know it's hard because you guys are young and it's hard to think out having kids. And quite honestly, it scares the tar out of me to think some of you would have children. But these are the things you got to think forward a little bit. If they are good with children, if they are loving and kind-hearted and would care and embrace someone, that makes a good person. If they do not like children and run and are nasty, you got to think of that stuff. Um, oh, you do this next one. Yeah, you say it better than I do. Yeah. Um, so we've talked a lot over the years, like if you, um, if your significant other gained a hundred pounds, would you still love them? And, um, I've heard it put this way that your measure of beauty or handsomeness, um, becomes your spouse when you get married. And so as they change, so does your measure of what beauty is. And so take care of yourself for your spouse. Don't just let yourself go. But at the same time, you age. You change over time. And so no matter what that other person looks like, because we go through sickness, we go through the aging process, no matter what that is, my level of looking at Tom and him being handsome, whether, and he said it earlier, that we've lost a lot of weight this year when we were heavier, he was still my measure of what the epitome of a guy should be. And so now he's lost weight, and he's still the epitome of what a guy should be. It changes over time. And so um, just be respectful of that. We're not looking for to, you know, at celebrities and the world and all of these things for what beauty and for what handsomeness is. When you say, I do, there it is. Okay. Uh, number five, do you trust this person financially? I, as you may know, the number one reason for divorce in America is financial issues. Uh, you need to know where someone stands financially. Are they coming into a relationship with like a bajillion dollars of debt? Do, are they really poor with money? You know, if they get a dollar in their hand, is it gone two seconds later? If that's something you can't deal with, don't deal with it. Because guess what? You're going to be frustrated when you get in a relationship and then finances mix. And then all of a sudden, this person that they were cute when you're just dating and, well, yeah, they spend money. Now they're spending my money. It's our money. And you have to be okay with how they handle stuff financially. Uh, number six, and this one's a little tough. Are you willing to give up your independence for that person? I'm not saying you aren't still an individual, but once again, to become one. It's not all about you anymore. It's just not. Um, you got to make a lot of sacrifices in your marriage on both sides. Uh, when anyone asks me, hey, Tom, you want to go do this? My response is the same every time. I'd love to, Tyler. I got to talk to Missy. Or if I want to spend some, you know, a significant amount of money, you know, you know, that sounds really great, but I got to talk to my wife about it before we make a decision because my decisions don't just affect me anymore. They affect we, and you will see, uh, marriage is not 50, 50 divorce is 50, 50 marriage is a hundred and a hundred giving everything that you can. 
when you start giving less than 100% on both sides, that's when you're going to have issues. And so, are you willing to give up a part of yourself for that person? Uh, Number seven, is that person, is the person you're dating going to be emotionally available? This bothers some people. This doesn't bother other people. Uh, You need to know if the person you're dating can deal with tough situations. And, you know, can they handle death? Can they handle disappointment? Do they crumble every time something bad comes along? Or because that doesn't change when things, when you get married. You know, even as far as saying there are some people in this world that they can't say the words, I love you. I can deal with a lot of stuff. I could not be married to someone that didn't daily say to me, I love you. And so know if that person is emotionally available. Uh, Number eight, are they going to be obedient to God's commands and follow scriptural principles in your life together? Simply, do they have a habit of lying? Or are they going to be honest at all times? There are too many people in this world that have a moral gray area when it benefits them and their pocketbooks. Are they going to be honest? Do they have a habit of compromising and not standing up for the truth? I know it's stupid, but do they cheat on their taxes? Once again, character flaws. That it's small things, but usually it will tie to other things in your life. And so are they going to follow God's commands? Number nine, and this was important for me, do they treat their parents with respect? You marry both couples here, folks. I got two sets of parents. I got my own. I got Missy's when we got married. I wanted to know that she respected her parents. There is a difference. The word tells us that to honor your mother and your father. Obedience, doing everything that your mom and dad says, is different from honoring and being respectful. As an adult, I make decisions that maybe my parents don't always agree with, but I will always honor them. I will always respect them and appreciate the things that they have done in my life to raise me. I wanted someone that had those same feelings. If they treat you, your parents with like disrespect and jerks, it sets a bad precedent for your children. And then finally, and probably the most important question you need to ask yourself, does this person love Jesus more than they love me? Do not marry someone that loves you more than they love Jesus. You will buckle This will be an unhealthy marriage. It will lead to divorce. It will lead to strain. It will put so much pressure on you. You will never live up to the standards. You can never live up to who Jesus is. Second ain't bad, folks. Second to the Lord is pretty good. And that's what I want. There have been times in our marriage that, Missy, you know, we've talked about where she has put me before God. And those are the worst times of our marriage. 
I can't carry the burden. I'm not good enough. I'm too flawed. But when we have Jesus at the front and he's guiding, not just in the middle, but in the front and guiding us, then we can have a great marriage together. I want her to love Jesus more than she loves me because he sets the best example for us. And so ask yourself those 10 questions. You do that, then you can make a good, well, smart choice in who you should be dating. And so, okay, we're going to take just 15 minutes. Quick reminder, uh, this week in life groups, you guys, I'm pretty sure every life group has gotten together with another life group, and you all are talking about relationships and stuff. We're going to take a few minutes and do question answer time. Obviously, we're not going to answer all questions. There are some questions you probably don't want to ask here because, well, it's Bix Company and stuff, and you can ask some really fun ones in life group and stuff. But we do want to take a couple minutes that if there's something we can answer, we want to do that. Like I mentioned at the beginning, though, we respect all phases of relationships, and we want to honor that in our question and answer time. And so I've asked some experts in the different phases of relationships to join us tonight. And so our expert in singleness is Angela Jarvis. Okay. <laughs> Come on down, Angela. Our Yay. You're, you're thrilled about being an expert in that. I can tell. All right. Uh, we do have a unique thing this year. Uh, we have a lovely couple that has gotten engaged uh, that we are going to ask Julian Blaze to come down as our Christian dating experts. And then, uh, if you got marriage questions, how you doing? We can answer stuff. But uh, let's go ahead and... Uh, what, what you need? Okay. <laughs> you guys are getting married. Share. So, but uh, I, do we have any questions? Oh, we do. We can. You can text any questions that you may have. It is anonymous. We don't want to know who's asking us questions. Just honestly, it kind of creeps us out sometimes. But if you have some good questions, we can address it. Um, do we have anything offhand? Actually, I'm going to give her a sec. I do want to address something that comes up like every stinking year, and so I might as well just, I'm going to get it out of the way. There's this thing that people always ask, what about wives submitting to their husbands? Let's go ahead and talk about it. I'm going to do my best in like five minutes. You have more questions. Once again, you have mentors. Talk to your life group leaders. Ephesians 5, verses 21 through actually just 25 I'm going to read it to you really quick. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is, a head, is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. We can't pull things out of context. Everyone likes to go, you know, what does this mean? Submit to your husband. 
you got to read the whole thing together. In verse 21, it calls, it says, call, uh, let me try again. All people are called to submit to one another. Every person in this room is committed to submit to each other. That means, submitting means to sacrifice, to give up our demands and our desires for those around us. So let's just start there. Everyone's supposed to do it. Doesn't mean it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. We are supposed to submit and to sacrifice for each other. If you go into verse 22, this word, it says, you know, submit to your husbands. The word submit here is different than the word submit in the previous verse. The word in verse 22, the word submit in verse 22, refers to becoming his, becoming a part of his own, to becoming one in the circumstance between man and a woman. Let me tell you, to becoming one is hard. Just because you get a ring on your finger and you have a wedding vows, does not ma- it does not mean becoming one is easy. To individuals, to wills, to egos, to very strong wills, it can take a lot of time, and it takes a lot of intentionality. Every single day, Missy and I have to choose to be one. If we aren't choosing to be one, we definitely will be two. And that's not what the Lord wants. If you go down to verse 24, it goes back to the first form of submit that you see in verse 21. This submission in verse 24 was modeled by Jesus himself. That's what's getting at here. As the church submits to Christ, so should wives submit, blah, blah, blah. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all the same person, right? The great three in one. Same person, different roles. Same person, different roles. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all God, and yet God the Father made decisions. And we see over and over and over again through the Gospels that Jesus submitted to the Father's will. Not my will be done, but yours. And then you see that the Holy Spirit submits to the will of of Jesus in Acts. It's, it's, a, it's not a great analogy, but it's very much a player-coach relationship. They're all on the same team, all having different roles, but all with the same purpose, and that's to win. In a marriage, that should be the same idea, that we're all on the same team, we got different roles, but our goal for Missy and I's marriage is to win. We like winning. And so you've got to work together. And then you see in verse 25, husbands have to love their wives the way Christ loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? 
he died for them. I know the idea of two becoming one and submitting is difficult, but I have to die for her. That is a lot. And here's the thing. You can hurt me. I'm okay with that. You don't hurt my wife. You do not hurt my daughter. I will defend my family to the death. And I mean that both physically and spiritually. That's the role that the Lord has given to me. To love my wife and my daughter beyond this physical realm. If I don't embrace that role, if I do not take that role, when when tragedies come, when struggles come, when poverty comes, when oldness comes our way, our marriage won't remain together. That is my job. And I would even go, you know, when we are so focused on, well, this, that, the next thing, I would even contend that our perspective is incorrect on this verse. How we are going about and looking at it. Instead of worrying about submitting to or dying for someone, maybe we need to look at ourselves. And ladies, I would ask you a question. Are you a woman worth dying for? Um, Can you communicate and not manipulate? And honestly, we have the power to create or destroy with our words. And um, this became really evident to me when Tom and I became um, nationally appointed missionaries. We had to go through this like really long psychological process. And through that, I ended up with homework from the psychologist that we met with um, for the rest of my life that I needed to read Proverbs every single month. And that, um, you know, there's a proverb, there's 31 Proverbs, proverb a day a month. Um, And I was to underline the words, word anger, and wife. And so when I did that, I realized the power that I have to speak into him. And um, my words are can be his greatest influence. And so as a wife, what I say in Tom's ear is ultimately the life that he's going to live out. For good or for bad, my words can build him up or tear him down. And so I need to choose wisely. And so then the second thing is, can you forgive instead of blame? And relationships only happen and are healthy when people forgive. Um, We need to keep short accounts, love like we haven't been hurt, absorb pain, leave the past in the past, and realize that forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. And so if a woman needs to be worth dying for, men, you need to be worth submitting to. Just because the Bible says it doesn't mean that you're a good candidate for it. Are you living like Jesus? It needs to come out in every way. Can you can your love for her outweigh your lust for her? We're not animals. I get tired of hearing, oh, it just happened. We're not animals. We make mistakes, but we do have choices. Love is a choice. Lust is a feeling. The world lives by lust and not by conviction. 
But the word tells us that love is patient. If you can't wait, it might just be lust. And then secondly, are you trying to protect her or are you trying to possess her? Guys, women are not property. Our role is to protect, to be strong, emotionally be a rock, to spiritually pray for her, not to control her. My wife doesn't need me controlling her. She needs Jesus to control her and to guide her. I need to encourage her and be her biggest cheerleader for what the Lord wants. And so you can't possess a girl. You need to protect. Protecting is okay, but not possessing. And so, there you go. That kind of deals with that. Got more questions. Got some wonderful people you can ask. Missy, do we have some questions? Um, so, we'll start with this one. What if you get asked to go on a date with someone and you don't know for sure that they are a Christian? Should that automatically be a no? Guess I'm taking this one. <laughs> go singles expert, go. Yeah, singles expert. What? What? Um, no. Um, if you don't know if they're a Christian and they're asking you out on a date, here's the thing: you go back to the verse where you will know a person by their fruit. And if it is not evident by the way that they live, by the way that they speak, um, by the way that they are in the Word, if you do not see them in a ministry or seeking godly wisdom from a mentor. If that fruit isn't evident, honey, I would say stay away. Wait until you can see that in his or her life um, because you want to be able to see it. You know, whoever that future husband is of mine, I want to be able to look at him even before we're even dating and be like, man, there's something about him. And I know that that's Jesus and the Holy Spirit in his life. And I want it to be so evident, not just as me as someone that might be attracted to him, but to anyone around him where they can see there's something different about him. And it's Jesus because he's let Jesus have every aspect of his life. Um, what about soulmates? Is there one person out there specifically picked by God for me? Looks like Julie's got an answer on that one, right? Okay. Even in my very, like, years ago when I was like, I will be single forever female version of Paul, obviously that did not last. Um, even in those deep down, I've always been a hopeless romantic, but... And if you have a different opinion or think this is I, wrong, I, correct me. I, will. I don't believe in soulmates. And for this reason. One, because you're not married in heaven. Okay? That's something God gives us on earth. And two, because of free will. Because they're like, I, I look at it this way. Um, like you think if one person makes a choice out of God's will, that affect somebody else who didn't necessarily do that and I don't think God would place that much um power on flawed human beings necessarily so I think there is God's best and I think depending on time location um how you say yes to Jesus um you can make a best decision and I've heard it said this way too it's like (laughs) Josh Sousa said this at winter conference. He's like, you know, if you're, if you're in that place and you found this person that matches all these keys, you know, that we have, they've got good character. You've got callings that are going to be complimentary. Um, you've got that chemistry. There's confirmation. Then 
make that decision. If there are a few people in your life you're like, hmm, I'm I these could all be good options, you know, not casting the net wide. That's a different thing. But make a choice. Make good, godly decisions. Yeah, you know, well, one, when you do get married, it does become God's will. Yes. There's your soulmate. Enjoy. Yes. I will say, it because they're human, uh, human choice and things, if I didn't pull my stuff together... I don't think God's going to make Missy wait for the next 50 years till I pull my stuff together. You know what I'm saying? God loves us. He's going to take care of us. I'm glad I got my life together so I could be in a place for for Jesus to bring us together. If I didn't do that, Jesus wasn't expecting Missy to date a guy that wasn't a Christian and wouldn't follow after him. He would have taken care of her. I think I'm the best. I think that's I'm the one that God wanted. But you just got to believe that, you know, the Lord's in control. And so, yes. How to deal with sexual temptation. I think there's two different aspects to look at here. Uh, the single... Uh, the perspective of being a single person and the perspective of being in a relationship um, and how those are uh, different. Firstly, from a single standpoint, um, as far as sexual temptation goes, I think that one of the most important things um, about battling with sexual temptation and dealing with that is having somebody that you can live life with and have accountability with. Um, I think that that's a, a genuine struggle for a lot of people uh, today, and one of the best ways to fight with that and to combat that is to have somebody to live life that w- with and share that with as far as being able to keep each other accountable and keep each other um, in a place of not making those mistakes as much as possible. As far as the relationship side of it, um, I would go on to say the same thing, but I would also add, um, and I guess this this applies to singleness too, but knowing your triggers and know, having an awareness of what triggers um, sexual temptation, if there's things that, um, if it's certain locations that, that you and your partner are in that just are temp- extra tempting or being alone in a certain place at a certain time or... Um, she does something that that triggers you or vice versa you do something that triggers her being aware of all of those things and being able to uh, see them before they take place or if they are beginning to take place being able to be aware enough to say okay we need to stop or we need to uh, break ourselves away whatever the case may be and I would say even in singleness knowing the triggers as well that that cause you to stumble or cause you to think a certain way or cause you to feel a certain way which can lead to other things and so um, when you have that awareness and when you have that accountability, especially when you partner the two together um, and you're living, through, living life through that with another person who can keep you accountable to your own struggles, um, both in a relationship and single, I think you can have one of the greatest uh, rewards there and successes there. As someone who is single, how can I be a good support to my friends entering relationships, going through hard things in relationships, or just out of a relationship? As the only person up here who is single, um, a big thing about being a good support is actually being a good sport about it. 
a lot of times <laughs> we can think, oh my goodness, woe is me, when is this going to happen? And we treat this season of singleness, and maybe that's not you, it's just me, we treat this season of singleness as we're in this desert, and we're like looking for water anywhere, and seeing mirages, and all these different things, and that's not what it is. Um, the people that are in relationships in my life, this is one of my dearest and closest friends. By being a good support to her in her marriage means that I pray over her and Tom. I pray for their marriage. I am there for them. I want to support them. Um, same with Julian Blaze. Like, I am happy for them. I pray over them. I pray God's best for them, and I want God's best for them. In a sense, we can almost see it in a selfish way of, well, I don't get this right now, or things like that. And we want to cover them in prayer, be a good support, want God's best for them. And um, something that I'm learning in my life is I'm not in competition with somebody else's will, God's will for somebody else's life. What their journey is, the place that they're in their, they are in their life, I'm not in competition with that. The will of God for their life is different from mine, and that also means that God's timing for my life is different for theirs. So whether I got married when I was 25, which I didn't because 25-year-old Angela was not ready. I don't even think 29-year-old Angela was ready. Um, whether I got married when I was 25 or I don't get married until I'm 32, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I have to be okay with God's timing because I want God's best. I want his timing. And um, being a good support for them is being okay with what God's will is for your life and not being in competition with someone else. I would add, too, um, as someone who's in a relationship or is um, married, that we need to be, um, if you're in that place, be a good support and a good friend to our single friends and our people who, you know, our people who are um, not dating or not married um, because their their needs for... Um, for affection and for love are no different than yours. Um, like she said, they're just in a different place. And so being a good support and, you know, Tom and I think about that a lot when we're looking at our staff and our give a years is that we look differently at them, not in a place of like, um, in a bad way, but just we want to come alongside and make sure that they feel taken care of, making sure that they feel loved um, and appreciated for all the qualities that they have. Yeah, it's getting late. That's good enough. Hey, uh, cool. I'm going to close in a prayer. And, uh, yeah, thank you for joining us tonight. Father, thank you for relationships. Thank you for uh, modeling what a good relationship is between people. Lord, let us live out relationships in a way that will make you proud and that uh, is in the will of your son. And so just help us to be and to grow into the men and the women that you create us to be, to have great Christian uh, relationships as singles, as dating and is married. And God, I just pray a blessing over every person in here, Lord, that 20 years from now, they will be passionate for you. They will be serving you. They will be doing great things in their church, but they will also have great Christian marriages and be great Christian mothers and fathers to the next generation of believers. And so, Lord, let it be so, and we ask in your name. Amen.